You've tuned into the Are You Screening podcast, originally live and an effort to bring you instant reactions to films. We try to stick to that theory and bring you unedited, unfiltered, and largely off-the-cuff opinions of movies, along with interviews, industry news, and hopefully a lot more. Thanks for listening, and let's get right to this week's episode. Hello, everybody, and welcome to the Are You Screening podcast. I'm your host, areyouscreening.com's own Mark Eastman. And with me, as always, is co-host extraordinaire Shane Leonard. Hello. And uh, so this week, uh, our our actual thing, because this is the death in between all the death until we get to Black Adam. Right. Uh, so uh, w- uh, our actual big thing is somewhat surprisingly going to be Luckiest Girl Alive. Yeah. Um, because that came out of <clears throat> nowhere, and um, there was lots of <laughs> other stuff we didn't want to watch. Right. But, uh, yeah, I mean, as we've been saying for months, right, there's this whole lull, and the lull is insane, and yeah. the lull is made all the worse, and uh, it kind of irritates me in its own special way, but it's made all the worse uh, because of where theaters are, and they don't have things to do, and what you <laughs> can see is very different depending on where you are. Yeah. And, uh, and that kind of drives me nuts because, you know, if you're in, you know, if you're in like a huge market where there's a giant theater with like 50 screens or, you know, whatever, you have a lot of things you can see probably, right? Because there are tons of tiny things that are releasing. Yeah. But if you're in like 90% of the country, right? (laughs) I mean, you're out there with the rest of us, you know, you got stuff that's like from two and a half months ago, probably still at your theater uh, that wasn't that big in the first place that, you know, that's all the options there are because, uh, you know, I want the littler things to have their time, but it's all there is. And they're still not getting their time. Right. I mean, it's like, it's such a screwy thing, but anyway, it's a, it's a theatrical lull right now. And, uh, right in time for black adam now right. it'll be black adam and and now we get towards the end of the year and even though there are still some gaps if you look yeah, into the theatrical I, releases there are still some places where you're like why doesn't anything come out right but now it's getting to closer to the end of the year and yeah and there's going to be some things Ramping right up some stuff. um but we're going to be covering uh Luckiest girl in the world. Um, and before we get to that, I just want to um, mention real quick, but we're also going to talk about a couple other movies. Um, but before we get to that, I want to mention uh, The Peripheral, which is out today on Amazon. I was going to say Amazon. And right? yeah. it's uh, mm-hmm. Chloe Grace Moretz. And it's uh, it will not... So you can't watch this without it telling you that it's you know from the creators of Westworld. <laughs> right. Like every single, yeah, every chance like, it's I feel good. like, by the way, remember, I feel like that's almost part of the name. It's like, <laughs> it's, by the creators of Westworld. Yeah. yeah. Uh, so, yeah. and the thing is, um, and I, I can't remember the guy's name now. I want to say it's Gordon, but you know, I've been looking at like a lot of names in the last couple of hours. Yeah. Um, but it, it's based on the book by the same name. And I swear to God, I always forget this guy's name. But it's like William Gordon, maybe. Uh, It's something like that. But he's an author who basically is largely credited with, if not inventing, you know, maybe like co-inventing like the cyberpunk genre of, uh, of novels. He's 
written a bunch of them. They're all basically exactly what you would kind of think of when you think of cyberpunk. Uh, he's hugely famous. This is like one of his uh, good books. And it's, uh, you know, Jonathan Nolan and uh, God, I want to say it's Lisa Joy. That sounds right. Something like that. Um, who they're actually executive producers, right? Um, right. And uh, they're the behind Westworld people that are connecting this. Yeah. And uh, and so the story is, uh, I'm only going to really quickly go through this um, because you can find out what the story is. But the story is uh, Chloe Grace Moretz is in the a little ways in the future. And one of the things I actually really like about the show um, and the book, because it's just a little bit different, right, is that it's, it's two futures <laughs> because they're already a little bit in the future. Right. Um, but then she basically goes to the future and, you know, spoiler, I mean, that's what happens very early on, <laughs> you yeah, know, yeah. that's like the, the jumping off point is, um, so her brother, uh, and they live in like very rural America, wherever, you know, in their yeah. trailer park, her brother is, um, her brother's like ex-military and he's ex-military from, this thing that they call haptic recon where they implant him and you know his his recon group with these whatever haptic things that you know they keep vague in their right. own way and then they'll explain it as they go which yeah. is how you know the whole show goes when she goes to the future you don't know what's happening and they right. very you know they peel back the layers of the onion or whatever yeah but anyway, and it basically kind of like connects their minds. So his whole group, his little unit, right? Like their minds are connected in a certain way, right? right? And and uh, there's one scene, it's, you know, pretty early on in the series where they have all these drones everywhere and they kind of can like <laughs> just see through the drones. They don't have to look at the monitor no. necessarily or yeah. whatever. But they also like can see what each other are seeing, you know, and right. you know whatever. So it's all so there's that. So that's that's sort of the little future that we're in. Um, but so but he has this like side gig where he gets paid by rich people to play their video games or help them in their video games. Yeah. And it's, you know, it's like the virtual realities like puts the thing on and you go into the, like the sim right game world, yeah. whatever. And he goes in and people pay him to like, uh, you know, cause a, he's really good at do it. Do a walkthrough. And basically. they, yeah. and he like helps them get all leveled yeah, up right. and you know, whatever it's like, that's probably a real job soon. Actually. And, uh, that's probably a real probably job, a job now. now yeah. Sure, yeah. <laughs> but, uh, job now. <laughs> but, uh, but the, the real gig is that he gets invited to do this beta test of a new thing, but he got the beta test actually based on his sister doing it. Because she's actually even better than he is yeah. at, at doing this game. So he wants her to do it because, you know, whatever. It's like a big paycheck, right? Right. <laughs> and she goes in. And then this is like a little bit spoilery. But, I mean, it, like I said, it's the name of the show. And it's, right. you know, fairly early on. But she goes into this new thing. And it's like, what the hell? Because she can feel. Oh, right. And it's like this whole other thing they she has to get like a new thing that to enter it 
as opposed to just her normal like goggles, right. VR goggles or whatever. Yeah. And uh, and we find out eventually that what she's actually doing is she's going into a peripheral, right? Which is a like robotic. Uh, it, it's like this. Just it's like a robot, except that you go into it instead of going into a VR world. Like right. your mind goes into this thing, and then you control it. So you're avataring, and you're in the real world, though. Yeah, right. And so it's just, and she's in the future. Right. So she's like. Layers. 70 plus yeah. <laughs> she's like 70 plus years in the future right in a robot you right. know running around while she's back here and then you know this there's does evil sound. forces sure. and, oh yeah you know whatever and then hilarity ensues from there yeah and and it is really cool is and it cool? it's yeah. it, the thing with westworld the big connection with westworld if uh you know they want you to think that you'll like it because you like westworld right right and the real connection to westworld is the experience of watching it is exactly like watching Westworld. Like it's okay. clearly made by the same people. It's right. like when you watch, you know, two movies by the same director and right. you're like, I know who directed that. I or see whatever, this. Right? Yeah. Right. It has this same like look and feel. It has the same kind cool. of, uh, you know, the way the dialogue sure. kind of comes together and things like yeah. that. Like it seems like this could just be. Uh, you know, like the spinoff of a right. different world in in the in Westworld, Westworld universe. universe. Now we're in yeah. cyberpunk world instead, right. or you know, whatever. So it just it it does look very much even the same. even that breakdown. You know, the synopsis that you were telling me, telling everybody, uh, that sounds very William Gibson. You know, that yeah, yeah. Once you get into his idea of what many futures could look like, that that smells of William Gibson's right, stuff. Right. So. Yeah, but um, it's really good. How okay? many did you see? Have you seen just uh, like the six? Okay. Did they drop all six, um, or have you? No, no. Uh, okay. Sometimes you know. I, they I drop, actually don't know how Amazon is doing this. Okay. Uh, I'm not actually at all sure how this is coming out. I don't know if it's coming out week by week. Right. I think it might be, but okay. I'm not sure. Yeah. Um, and actually, I could go look right now because it's out right now, I guess. But right. I'm not gonna. Right. <laughs> but <laughs> look yourselves. Um, and and so I'm not gonna say anything that happens in like you know really further episodes or anything like that. There is a part way further along where it kind of starts to stumble just because uh, you know the bad guys get a little hokey, cliche. Kind of, yeah, and it's right. like. Ah, come on. Right. And, and you just, and for me anyway, I'm like, you know, let's just get to the next thing. Right. Because whatever right. with this nonsense. But it's like, we have to have this. You got to see this to get to Because we got to get there. to right. the whatever. Yeah. Um, <clears throat> That's cool. But yeah, anyway, it's really good. Um, so definitely uh, check that out. And uh, everybody who is a main focus is really, really good. Um, right. there's, uh, Chloe Grace Moretz is really good. Her brother, and I can't remember his name right now, but he's the guy from Midsummer. Oh yeah. Um, he, he's really good and, and he has, uh, he, he has kind of a hard thing to do. And then there's also the guy who is kind of her connection in the future. He's like, he tells her she's got to come back. 
um, and she doesn't want to. And he's like sending her messages that she has to come back because the bad guys in the future are like hiring people in her time to kill her because they can like wow. get the messages right back in time or you know whatever. This has got Looper in it. This uh, has yeah, got yeah, you know it, Westworld. It, I mean, there's all like there's all, all kinds, kinds of, of stuff. all kinds of things going on. But um, the guy who plays that guy also he's really good. That those three together they are all really good and. Kind of, you know, kind of level of difficulty of what they have to do is pretty high. You know, he is like, he's more in the know, but he's also not in control of anything. He's not the boss of anything. He's he's still got to, you know, try to play the system to a certain extent or whatever. You know, whatever. Uh, These have to be an hour long. they're really good. Right? This is too short for a half hour. Yeah, no, I think they're about an hour. hour? Yeah. I'll check that out. That sounds good. Uh, anyway, so that's really good. And then also, we both have two movies that we can uh, talk about real quick. Yeah. Um, that only one of us has seen. Right. Right. Um, so and far. before I do that, I, you know, I mentioned this briefly to you, but I don't want to completely throw you under the bus uh, and just and just you know throw it out right now right so i'll throw it out uh that we're gonna uh, maybe start doing this next week oh because right. actually this is uh and you know but thanks again to everyone who ever sends us emails yeah really right? we love them <laughs> definitely over a long period of time this is like the amalgamation of a lot of different emails that we've gotten from people and i'm i'm taking all those uh emails we've got and saying putting them together into like one thing <laughs> one voice this is <laughs> right. what you all really mean to ask us because here uh, um because <laughs> here's the thing and it's not even anyone asking us stuff and like i say this all the time people send us a lot of emails where they don't ask us anything really right yeah and just, and you know that's great i love them that's great but it's not like and now we answer your question right, right. because right. <laughs> because there's no question but i'm i'm putting together these like basically attitudes of some emails yeah and and i think i like the idea even though i don't know that any of them actually suggested this exactly directly right right. and so and what we're going to do is uh every every week maybe if we remember to do it which we won't no we won't a lot of we'll try yeah um we're gonna really quickly just throw out right an older movie to recommend that you go find. Sure. So, so the idea is like it has to be at least ten years old. Oh, okay. That's easy. And uh, and it has to be something that never really was very popular, even yeah, right. at its best. It 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 wasn't really popular. It hasn't at this point gotten some huge cult status where everybody knows it either. Right. It's like some little thing. You know, the, and it doesn't have to be an Oscar winner. No, no, no one no. saw, just, like, no one's saying go see just Crash, but like, like uh, just a personal suggestion that you would give somebody and be like, you know what, you haven't seen, right? Exactly. Go check out Jim Cotta. <laughs> well, you're, you're don't in the, do that. You, no, but you're in the. <laughs> I would actually. There's, I know a couple people. I I'm not trying to hijack your thing, but I remember telling a couple people not that long ago they should watch American Ninja. They need some right. Michael Dudikoff in their life because they were talking about how 80s films are just never being made again. And I'm right, like, well, right. I mean, besides the obvious, and I'm like, you know, what 80s film are you missing? Like Beat Street, <laughs> Rambo, American Ninja? He goes, what's American Ninja? And I'm like, dude, you got to go see American Ninja. It is total 80s. Like, it is such low 80s. So, uh, anyway, it is actually Sorry. really, really weird that you mentioned that because... Uh, you, uh, 
I think it's Jim Cotta, yeah. right? Uh, which that's a double feature for a drive-in in the eighties. Yeah, no, okay, American it's, Ninja Jim it's, Cotta. It's the weirdest. It's the weirdest thing that you would throw that movie out because Jim Cotta was filmed partially right down the street from my house. Get out of here! When uh, there's a part where what a they're blast. like outside a weird mall, right? There's some kind of part where there's like a big crowd and they're outside like a oh, store. Wait. No, yeah, there. Yeah, because okay, yeah, yeah, there is, and he's. Well, all right, go ahead. Yeah, Sorry. and and he's doing his he's Jim Cotting, yeah. right? He's got this big thing, and that is filmed at Christown Mall. <laughs> that's awesome, <in> Phoenix, <laughs> and my sister's in it, and you can see. Her. Oh, that's awesome, <laughs> Jim. Co- I got. I mean, you know this too, and you have it as as movie lovers, not just like weird aficionado titles, but just as a movie lover and watching everything that I could see in the eighties, right. Like, I didn't do that in the 90s, but I did it in the 80s. Like, my memory of dumb films <laughs> from the Boogans yeah. to Jim Cotta to just Breet Street, like, everything is just in there. Yeah. And sometimes Jim Cotta just comes out. You know, I see someone do a good move and I'm like, yo, Jim yeah, Cotta. Probably shouldn't. It though, probably but, should. But that's uh, awesome. I didn't know but, that. But anyway, so. Uh, so, anyway, suggesting a film. So, our idea is that we're just going to have a couple things. For like exactly that purpose, because there's yeah. tons of stuff to watch, there's a lot and of there's stuff. all the stuff that we have to uh, keep telling you because there's eight thousand cable channels and streaming things and all that. Yeah, and and you know the the idea came up from a lot of these different emails, whether it was just that we should recommend other things completely generally, or yeah. uh, do you you know whatever? Do you have other suggestions or stuff? Um, to a bunch of people talking about older movies versus newer movies and all this stuff. And, <laughs> and really, like, what came together was, like, you know, there are so many movies that I wish people would watch yeah. as opposed to, you know, we got to crank out the next dumbest thing because it's right. new right. and people will watch it because it's new. Yeah, When you've got every different streaming service that has everything that yeah. y- you can you can watch virtually anything at this yeah. point. And it's, you know, at this point, if I think of an old movie, you know, from like the 80s or 90s, I mean, not like the 30s or something. Yeah, but no, but still. if I think of an old movie and I go, you know, Google when it's where I can stream it, right? Like it's rare that it goes, nope, there's no yeah, right. You right. have to buy it. Like yeah. there's so many things. So anyway. That's cool. No, I like that. So, uh, you know, I don't know. That just came out as a crazy idea. Well, you want, let's do one. You got one? Nah, I don't want to. All right. Well, I had Jim Cotta in my back pocket. Yeah, but. No, but I really would have suggested that everyone. <laughs> I got a bunch. I, I think of weird things sometimes. and Everyone who's going to watch Jim Cotta has already watched it. That's oh, it. come on. <laughs> that could be someone's detention. Yeah. Anyway. All right. So we've got two other movies that we're going to cover real quick. And yeah. uh, you can go first. So Halloween Ends. Yeah, uh, which also is a movie that I think everyone who's going to see that has already seen it. Has probably so already. You seen can review it, yeah. it now, and it won't matter, right? You're not. <laughs> no, and I. But the the funny thing is, I'm actually. I probably won't spoil it. And this is a film that I shudder to think actually, you know, has some sort of thing has something to spoil. To spoil. It, okay, so in, in a really weird way, trying to explain this uh, to my girlfriend actually yesterday, who was asking what we were doing today. Um, and I told her, I think we squeeze Halloween in. And she's like, well, how was it? And I thought, you know what? Here's the thing. 
it's uh, David Gordon Green and Danny McBride. There's a couple others that are on that bandwagon with them, but they're the two front runners. They've they've done this trilogy of new Halloween films. They got Jamie Lee Curtis to come in, and so the last entry came in, and I thought if you're not familiar with anything about Halloween, you just you happen to see this because you might have just sat in to see Friday the Thirteenth Part Eight because somebody's going and you're like, all right, slasher film, I'm going to be scared, whatever. You probably think this is an okay film. As as the concluding entry into this trilogy and as what might be the last chance to get Jamie Lee Curtis to play Laurie Strode, this thing is an absolute piece of crap. There's no way <laughs> around it. I've, I've seen a friend who is a bit of a contrarian and loves horror films so much, stand up and say, actually, this is a piece of genius filmmaking. And the discussion he and I had back and forth was staggering because we both did it in a good faith way. He wasn't trying to take devil's advocate, neither was I. In my opinion, to talk about this third film without talking about the other two is a little bit of a mistake. But I think that really what this crew of people have done is over three films and a handful of years have really only been able to produce an intriguing trailer. I think the first trailer for Halloween was interesting. I think watching the film was worse than that trailer because it's just, it shows all the high parts and they don't seem to understand what's happening in here, but they got a bunch of people behind them and they told everybody over and over and over again that this is great. The second film is just an extended three scenes because they realized they wanted to make a trilogy and how they got away with just drawing out an hour and 40 minutes. It's like, remember when, uh, remember when we found out when Peter Jackson was going to do the Hobbit and he was going to make it three films. Right. Right. And this is that treatment. I'm like, you guys could have made what happened in the second film, 20 minutes and made two films and been better. Every decision that they make about Michael Myers and Laurie Strode in the third film feels wrong because what they want to tell is a story that has nothing to do with Michael Myers. And that's fine. It could have been all about Laurie Strode. There's something genuinely awesome about the film that they're trying to do that excited me. And that is, in a horror film, what happens when one of these big bad monster guys has so much trauma in the community? What does that community do? How does the community deal with the trauma of what's being done to them? And that can be applied. You don't have to have a Freddy Krueger in your neighborhood. You could just have a school shooter. Right. Like this is an incredible time to explore that. What happens when you, you know, you live where Columbine happened or Sandy Hook or whatever? What does that community do when a monster has appeared? There's a metaphor here for that. These guys don't know their ass from their elbow to try to explore that. And they take every cheap shot, every weird nuance, and they just leave so much that's possible there while trying to seem original and canny in making characters do things that you just would never have them believe to be done. And in the previous two films that they have shown what they could do, can't do, wouldn't right. do. So I, I watched this and thought of two minds. Like there is something really great here about Jamie Lee Curtis and uh, the girl who plays her granddaughter, who I'm always going to mess up her last name, Andy Mantachuk, I think. She plays Allison, and they're great. And actually, the the scenes with Allison and this new guy that she's in, in love with and might be dangerous, they're really great. I actually thought the performances are really wonderful. But in better hands, this might have been an interesting project, or at least in 
the best of hands, it could have been like a five-star film. This is barely one and a half stars, even though I just railed on it so much. But because there is something good there and because it's actually strangely beautifully shot, it's so frustrating as a film, even though you have to remember, like, this is the 13th or 14th Michael Myers film. Right. Like, really, what am I expecting here? <laughs> right. But I didn't expect much after the second film, and I got even less than I thought I was going right. to get. So At some point, it's like Rocky 25. Though, yeah, right. like... I don't know, boxing happens and what else do you want, right? <laughs> well, it's, it's like, almost like it's almost like if if Rocky was like gonna go fight somebody and then suddenly they just cloned Mickey and then put him in the ring <laughs> and he was really fighting the dog of Clubber Lang and they build it as Rocky and you're right. like, What? Huh? <laughs> like so anyway. Uh, and so you give it like an eight, nine. Yeah. I won't even I'm not even getting into the on paper, on paper, this thing. You know, I barely gave it one and a half, but on paper, the ending, which I will ruin because it's so stupid, has Michael Myers being defeated, of course, you know, and being dragged through the city on the top of some like sob to this junkyard. And the, the town gets behind them, literally. I mean, quite literally on foot and in the cars, there's a procession. Yeah. There's a there's a funeral procession because this is how we must cleanse ourselves. And people are like, we can't do this. This isn't right. And the sheriff is like, this is how we're doing it tonight. You know, this kind of weird bravado of things. And I'm like, on paper, in a book, that would fly. You filmed it so it looked laughable. Like, right. this is like National Lampoon's bullshit right now. So... Uh. So well, anyway, I'm glad it's over. I I can't say that I'm uh, all that disappointed. You got to watch I it. I didn't care anyway. Yeah, I know. Right? Yeah. But um, so anyway, but you know the funny thing is, is like there was a part of you telling that story. Yeah. Right. Where I, you know, I kind of was like you're you're talking about how the story is and how there's uh, potentially this avenue you could go down. Yeah except that it doesn't have anything to do with these characters right. and stuff like that. And I was like, you know, he's getting pretty close to my Batman James Bond thing. I know. Where it's like, I know. if you want to make this movie, just make it. Don't do pretend it. that it's a right. Halloween movie. And there would, be, there would be such a great... I mean, it's so funny. If I thought I could pound out a screenplay and have an agent have it, I would write about a serial killer who is obviously a metaphor for a school shooter. Because this film, the character, the the guy character that Allison is falling for, instead of the film starting off with like slasher stuff, he's you learn about what sort of changes him. He's a guy who's filling in for a babysitter and he has a terrible accident with the child that he's babysitting. And, and that child dies and he becomes a pariah in the community. And I'm like watching this and I'm like, holy crap, like this is going to be less slasher and more of a how to incel your neighbor. Like, cause it's there. It's, it's taking a young white man and, and just segregating him from every compassion, every forgiveness. He can't get a date. He can't have any friends. Everybody that drives by him throws stuff at him. Hey, baby killer, you know? And I'm like, wow. And then suddenly you realize what they're doing with the film. You're like, oh, come on, don't, don't do this. (laughs) And in essence, like he has like Michael Myers as a pet dragon and he just kind of feeds him people for a while and like tries to learn from Michael Myers. And I'm like, stupid. You missed it. You had a great horror film here. Like it follows where you could inspect like the incel problem that Americans have, the school shooters, the trauma, excuse me, everything you need is right there. You're too stupid to realize what you held. Yeah. You know, it's almost like they caught a lightning bolt and realized like, wow, that, that, that sort of stung and just let it go. Like right. they had it, but 
All right, so uh, so skip that. Yeah, skip our, all of our them. horror half is oh, not man. a big fan of right. uh, oh, Halloween ends. So uh, don't go see that. I guess. Um, yeah. Although you know, I don't know. At some point, if you're looking for a good movie, you're not going to Halloween God, in you the know first what? place, right? Well, you know what? Somebody, I know, I'm, I got to give you room to do all your stuff too, um, and then we got to get to Lucky Girl, Luckiest Girl. But somebody asked me because they know how much I loathe Rob Zombie's horror films, and and especially his Halloween entries, his too. And they said, okay, so you hate the Green McBride films, which is better? And I was like, USOB, like it's actually Rob Zombie's films are better. And I hate you for making me say it out loud because now it's out there. And and I truly believe it. This is like watching this is like watching JJ Abrams direct The Rise of Skywalker. And if you have no interest in Star Wars and you've never really seen Star Wars, you might watch that film and be like, that was a neat sci-fi film. And you're like, yeah. Right. But as the last entry in the trilogy of trilogies, it can't be that stupid right. or dumb or right. ineffective or frustrating. Right. It, it's very much like that. Uh, well, that sounds uh, fantastic. So I'll, check that uh, out. Yeah, I'll have to check that as soon as I can. Okay, um, so also, uh, The School for Good and Evil is uh, Netflix, yeah. I'm going to say. Yep. Um, and, uh, you know, I especially wanted to talk about this one, and we may come back to this one, like, next week, if you get a chance to see it, it just yeah. so that we can kind of bounce off of each other. Um, and I won't take a real long time with it, but I did definitely want to cover it now since um, we didn't have a chance to get to, uh, for both of us to get to it. But uh, this the movie has taken like a lot of heat, and I find it very odd. Yeah. Um, but it's getting uh, some really bad reviews, and I don't even know uh, because I haven't had time to uh, check this out. I don't know what the overall thing is, right? Like, I don't know what the Metacritic score oh, yeah. is. I don't well, know exactly what's what. Yeah. But I do know that there are a lot of people that I've seen who are really kind of uh, bashing on it, right? Yeah. And uh, so it's um, it, it it's a you know very young adult movie, right? Yeah. Um, and it's got. Uh, it's got Charlize Theron, yeah, and I mean, it's got other people Kate too, Blanchett. right? I mean, yeah, yeah, there's Rachel Blow, yeah, yeah. There's uh, there's actual names involved, um, but it is, you know, somewhere in the realm of like Harry Potter, which has a bunch of big names. Yeah, there's a but yeah. also it's you know it it's for kids really, right? right. It's like, <laughs> um, and this is very clearly like, you know, for you know, somewhere between 10 and 15 or whatever is like kind of the age this is aimed at. Wow. It just happens to have a lot of big names in it, right? Yeah. And uh, and it's about these uh, two girls. Um, we're in this world where there's this place that as far as they're concerned in like the quote unquote real world, it's, yeah. it's sort of like a myth. It's yeah. like a... Whatever, and it's the the school for good and evil, and it's uh, you get introduced to it right at the beginning because um, there's two brothers who started it. Uh, it's been around like forever. It's the place where a bunch of fairy tales and myths and stories come from. Yeah, because the people go to the school of good and evil, and then they go like live out the story somehow yeah whatever it is and that and cool. that's what becomes the story because they actually go do it in this 
world, right. whatever, yeah. right? So anyway, but there's the two, you know, like super magician brothers who one of them's in charge of the good school and one of them's in right. charge of the evil. And at the very beginning of the movie, they get into a big fight, you know, whatever. Sure. And sure. and uh, the the guy who, you know, <laughs> the, the guy who runs the ev- the brother who runs the evil school wants to take over and have it all and yeah. yada, yada. Right. And uh, anyway, so you get to these uh, two two girls who live in this you know, small village, whatever. And, uh, and they're best friends and they're sort of both outcasts in their own way. Yeah. And the one girl really wants to go to the school for good or whatever. Right. And, uh, accidentally they both go. Um, and, uh, she ends up going to the school for evil right. and her friend goes to the school for good. Right. And then, you know, hilarity. Here ensues. we go. Yeah. We, right. No one wants, they don't want to be where they are. And, sure. You know, on and on and on. And then uh, all this stuff happens with, um, you know, Voldemort is coming back. Right. Yeah. <laughs> and, always, you know, and, uh, and, you know, whatever, like I said, hilarity ensues and that's the whole thing. And, you know, there's a part, um, this is the short version of this, but there's a part when things get towards the end where it it gets super corny for me yeah. anyway, right? Uh, as we kind of come to the climax of the movie, I feel like they kind of ruin what they have to at least some degree, yeah. right? Um, so I give this one, a, a, I, I think I give this like a seven and a half. Wow. Uh, it's really kind of a fun thing. It as far cool. as a movie for this age group, right? I can't, yeah, right. I thought it was. I thought it was really pretty good. There's uh, interesting stuff happening in it. Everyone in it is great, semi obviously, because it's people like Charlize Theron, right? Are in Kate it. Blanchett and and, uh, and they're really good in it. The people who are in it are really good. Um, and like I said, this probably could have been. Eight, if not maybe slightly higher, even if it wasn't for the fact that I feel like the the last half hour seems odd. It it doesn't seem like it really fits because, like I said, all of a sudden we go like super hokey, like we're right. a different for kids thing now than it is. Where yeah. it's yeah. that sucks <laughs> I mean, when they you know do it that. just yeah it gets a little cheesy and almost silly and you're like wait what the hell and yeah. it's like i was watching this whole thing and it was like this and now all of a sudden <laughs> right. it's whatever and um and uh it, the the one girl uh, i feel like the ending is like too hard and fast and then it's like it has to be done so it goes okay because uh, you know the one girl who goes to the school for evil well she kind of gets a little evil right right and she gets a little too evil, if you ask me. Yeah. <laughs> and then we get to the end, and it's like, you know, she just flips the switch and goes, oh, never mind, I want to be good, and I'm oh, sorry. And then everyone goes, yeah, you know, whatever, That's fine. convenient. And I'm like, okay, come right. on. What? <laughs> right. So it's, and, you know, that even that might be expecting too much out of it. Yeah, right. right sure. But uh, but I do expect right. that. <laughs> yeah. It, it, you know, expect that to be a l- little bit different. Um, but the reason that I definitely wanted to make sure we get to this, um, it's fun and it's good. And for the audience, I think it's a, a good choice of something to watch. Yeah. Uh, but all of the 
you know, wrath that it's taking is weird. (laughs) It is really, it's like, um, you know, I was saying this to you just before we got on. It's like that other movie. And I swear it's like Judy Dench and I can't remember what it is, but it's, uh, it's some similar thing where it's like a fantasy, uh, four kids kind of thing. Judy Dench is in it in a fairly small role. And it's like all of a sudden, because Judy Dench is in it, well, then I'm going to review this as though it's an Oscar hopeful or something and go, look how stupid all this stuff is that happens. And it's like, well, okay. And this movie is like the same way where, you know, somehow people didn't do that for Harry Potter, I guess, because it was, you know, too big to start with. But Charlize Theron's in this and like critics go in and go, okay, well, Charlize Theron is in it. So it's got to be an eight or better. So let's see what's up. And, uh, well, I'm not going to nominate her for best (laughs) actress in this. So the movie is garbage and it's like, it's so weird. And, uh, like I said to you, it's like, uh, sending critics to high school, Right plays or something, yeah. or or even less than high school really plays funny. or something. Right, we hey, should go to a high school play. Yeah, and, and go, do the, and do the show. Yeah, uh, this writing's awful. Right, yeah, you know, whatever. I don't know, but it's it's fun, and I <laughs> I just don't get the yeah. weird heat that it's taking it, because people are reviewing this it is, as though it is so like weirdly serious like it's you know you're a critic for stuff on the Disney channel right. now and you're you know that's a different job right and right. i don't know right. i don't get it i think a lot of people you know i think take all the reviews with a grain of salt and really read them if you're looking at them and yeah. see what it is that they're complaining about because <laughs> You know, there are parts of at the end that, like I said, I don't like either. And I think it gets a little too goofy compared to what came before. Yeah. You know, you think you're watching, you know, one show for a really long time. And then all of a sudden the, you know, the sensibilities of what we're right. doing just kind of shift. And that's weird. It feels a lot like they filmed the end first. Yeah. And then went, ah, let's go a slightly different direction and film all the rest of it. And yeah. then they got to the end and they go, well, now that doesn't match up, but I'm not <laughs> filming it again right? <laughs> or whatever. I don't know. Usually but, when that happens, it's like a different showrunner has come on and they're like, right. Yeah, you can keep your name, or, but or, we're going to have you be this person. Yeah. Now. Or you've you're got, like, what? you're doing some giant weird thing and you've got like the second unit director is uh, yeah. maybe not exactly on the same. Line. Hopefully, yeah. you know, you've got sort of the close thing going on. But anyway, yeah, it's just, it's a little weird, but still, I mean, it's, it's very weird. And I'll tell you the other thing that is even weirder is as I was watching the beginning of it, I was like, you know what? The dialogue is pretty good in this. Yeah. Because it's a silly, goofy thing. Sure. And you would expect it it to be. And I'm like, but you know what? I mean, the, the writing of the dialogue is not too bad. And, you know, like I said, then it gets a little goofy, but then I start reading reviews and I'm like, Man, what do you want? For yeah. like, <laughs> Apparently, know. people wanted a lot. I, you know, just looking, the highest review is a seventy-six out of a hundred, which sounds great. But the other thirteen reviews on which Metacritic, is a, which is about what I would give it, it right? That's that's like pretty that, much where right? you're at. Yeah, yeah. It's a seven and a half. It's got an overall score of thirty-two right. from the critics, and the audience gave it forty-five, so they like yeah. it a little better, but. Man, two things that stood out was I, I didn't realize that Paul Feig had directed it. Oh yeah, which yeah. is neat, and that it's two and a half hours long. Yeah, 
like you didn't even comment about the length at all like because sometimes that's something that we usually start no with. you like, know the man, length wasn't bad it, it actually clips along right yeah i'll check it out i'm, I'm kind of curious yeah about the it. length wasn't bad i mean i you know i don't know if you just are going into this expecting something else yeah. or whatever but, uh you know i don't know what the deal is but uh i feel like you know that is largely to have gone wrong as a critic to right. expect this to right be whatever something that I, it is i don't know anyway okay so uh moving on we got uh the luckiest girl alive and um this one is uh mila kunis yep and uh it is a very weird movie which as i understand it is from a book yeah um and and it's uh so okay, uh, just to kind of be quick, it's uh, it's her story, and it jumps around a lot in time, and it's you know she's the survivor of uh, bad things yep. in her youth, and at times we are you know in her future where she's working at the New York Times, right. and at times we are you know I don't know just before she's working at the New York High school, Times or you know, prep school. And then, yeah, we're at like this uh, prep school where the bad things happen. And she's telling this story from all different times and, and what we're seeing of what happened to her. And very early on, um, we get the idea that she is, uh, putting herself now into her life as best she can being the survivor of being raped when she was at this school. Yeah. And then way later in the movie, we find out that she's actually the survivor of other things as well. Right. And there's more to the story of her past but we get a lot of the movie happens with and it and it's kind of an interesting uh shift because it's not like it's right at the very end or anything it's you know after like a while but especially in a book i think right. this would be like a wild like shift of what you're doing reading this right. you know and so they they go for that in the movie because we get a whole lot of how she's tried to deal with this, you know, compartmentalize her own ego of who she is and how she thinks about herself and how she deals with other people, uh, you know, thinking we know the trauma that she's dealing with. Right. And then suddenly learning, no, it's, there's more trauma that she's dealing with and, and whatever. And then yeah. we watch it play out, which is, also kind of weird yeah um because um our second bout of trauma she doesn't just you know say oh this is what happens or we watch her watching like the news report or something like that we actually watch the whole thing right uh go on which is just weird and i mean we watch the first thing go on too which is right. also weird um so anyway th so that's basically uh the whole in a nutshell we got all the uh trauma and how she's dealing with it and how she exists with other people how she exists in her relationships now and all this stuff and you know we learn about 
she's the survivor of horrible things. Right. So that's it. Um, so I gave this movie a very specific six and a half. Yeah. Um, because, uh, I, I wanted it to do things differently and, uh, I really feel like in a way that is very strange that this movie, uh, the rating of this movie for anyone else who goes to see it is like very specific to what you bring into it. Yeah. Because I think that the movie does not for me do a good enough job of kind of, I guess solidifying where it's trying to take you. So who you are when you show up is going to go different ways with it, you know? And I, I think the way that some of the stuff is presented could easily hit people as, uh, you know, just way too simplistic. Yeah. And I think if you bring some non simplisticness to it, right then it's a much better movie. Yeah. But if you don't, I don't know that it really gives it to you. So, you know, for me, that's kind of like a fail. It's, uh, yeah. it, it like, it like kind of demands that you're already on its side in certain ways, like a lot, not that there's, you know, like a competing side. <laughs> or, no, but the, or you'll like, do all that. You'll do all the heavy lifting for it. Yeah. It's just, yeah. um, and then, you know, it just gets a little too easy in some places. And and worse still, uh, for me, a, a big negative in this movie was uh, her current fiancé. Yeah. Because I just didn't buy it. And it was distancing, you know? It, like, pulled me out of things um, because I, I just don't buy that she's ever dating that guy in the first place. Yeah. And I definitely don't buy a lot of the reactions that she has <laughs> to various parts of right. who he is. Um, because really he's an ass Yeah, and, uh, you know, he's in the right circumstances. He's like a nice enough guy when you're at a party or right. whatever. Right. He's like cheery and whatever. Right. But we continually see that, um, you know, I don't know. He's just kind of an ass. And, you know, maybe that's the true story of a lot of people, right? right? Is that they go through this various trauma Mm -hmm. and the person they pick is a bastard also, right? right? Right. But it didn't work in this story for me, right? Um, And, you know, he could be a jerk, right? But he... I don't think he can be this exact jerk. This exact jerk, I think you made him that way because you want to say something. Right. Not because it's believable that she would be with him right. or, you know, whatever. I don't know. Anyway. Yeah, he's kind of neutral jerk for me. He's got he's got to be more of one of the sides that he teeters on. There are there are times in their privacy where he's supportive and endearing and a good guy he just happens to be the recipient of what looks like a big trust fund you know in the film or in the story and then there are times when they're having issues and i'm like well i don't understand why this accelerated to where it's at i have to do all the heavy lifting because of the trauma i understand she's carrying 
But I don't understand why he stays with anybody that is this volatile and this dangerous to not only herself, but also to his circle of living, which is, I mean, you think about a film where you just, you paint in such broad brushstrokes. If we were in like a classroom setting, I'm like, okay, uh, lacrosse captain from Colgate, describe him. Just give me 10 adjectives. That's who we've got. Like he's just sort of there taking up space because she needs a foil when she's not in her office or having a flashback. And I didn't buy their relationship at all. Right. As it progressed, especially when it, she became more. She goes very back and forth. When she gets, herself. yeah, she's very, I mean, and if you didn't know Ani's story, Mila Kunis's character's story, you might just think that she's suffering from some sort of mental condition that people most often just think like her yo-yo stuff has got to be bipolar or schizo. Right, like she's right. just so loving. And then in one second, like screaming and yelling and detached and trying to push you away. And, and that's certainly part of what people with trauma can do. Again, I'm talking about a film that has all this trauma in it and then how they explore it. I gave the film a five and a half. Uh, and I could have given it a four and a half. I felt it was either going to be a hair above or a hair below average because of all the mistakes that it makes in making me, and I, you took the words right out of my mouth, really, I'm doing all the heavy lifting for a bunch of stuff that is important. I don't mind doing the heavy lifting in the small things. Like show me a party scene and you've got to, you got to paint the crowd with all these quick cliches of who people are. I'll, I'll carry you there. But when you have emotionally dependent touchstone scenes in your film of which there should be a, you know, a handful. And I have to do the heavy lifting in most of those scenes for you because you're too busy doing something else. Well, then now you're hurting it. Right. I, I thought, I thought that in some ways it was trying to obey, and I didn't. I don't know the source book. I never read it. I, I know of it, but I never read it. Um, I think it felt like it was trying too hard to stay to what was in the book instead of taking the book and saying, okay, we have to adapt some of this. We got to leave some of this out and bridge some of it. Even if we have to make a new character that summarizes five of these people she meets along the way, we got to do that right. because it's too choppy. It's too disjointed. Even I, even if she had, I was thinking when I was watching it, even if she had someone else that she was having conversations yeah. with where she could, even though, you know, that's not the best way to do things, but it's better than nothing, right? But if right. she had someone that she could uh, be talking to in order to do something, but but like, you know, you said with the heavy lifting, it, simpler things are fine, but if the important things to the movie... yeah. I really had to bring to the movie in the first place. Yeah. Then it's almost like the movie's not about anything anymore, right? right? It's just right. Uh, and, it's just a promo also, reel for stuff you already know, right. the group you're already in. And whatever. also, I I can't care more about it than it does. Like it doesn't care right. enough about it, right. so it's relying on me to do it. Oftentimes, we see a crutch of a bad filmmaker just use music to facilitate this. Like, you know, with sad moments, let's hear piano right, right. somber, you know. For me, there's a, there's a strange throwaway scene that actually kind of encompasses the entire feeling I have for the movie. It's when uh, Ani and Luke's wedding is is approaching, you know, the rehearsal dinners, there's all these fittings. Uh, Connie Britton plays her mom. And for the most part, I thought Connie Britton, who I like very much as an actress, didn't have much to do that wasn't a cliche. Yeah. But when she confronts her daughter on the dock, that whole scene starts off cliched to me. Like a lot of, 
she's walking away and she's screaming, wait, wait. And I'm like, just catch up to her. She's, it's a pier. She's not going right. to go much farther. Right. By the end of that scene, when Connie has stuff to do for a character and she reveals like the weight of her trauma as being a mom trying to protect her daughter, knowing all these things, that scene came alive and I loved the ending of it. And I thought, Mila's doing great. Connie's got something to do. The pacing is good. The story's good. Everything's working. And then it just kind of like walks away from it like, eh. Right. Not, not, even, not even disinterested in it. Just kind of like, it, there's a funny thing in the movie that also says characters say to Mila and she echoes back to them that sometimes they feel like just a box she has to check. Right. And I'm like, that's how the pacing of the film feels. Like we got to have this, check the box, move on. There's a bit of American Psycho feeling to it, um, especially because she doesn't break the fourth wall. She's not talking to the audience, but her voiceover is to us. She's not thinking to herself. She would talk to herself differently. Right. She's talking to somebody who's observing her. And I thought, is this a voiceover because she's writing, because she's a writer? Maybe she's writing a book about right. this. It doesn't turn out that way. It, you know, there were times where the wall breaks between her and she snaps at some of Luke's family, which is a great moment because she thinks she's got an internal monologue and she's actually saying the awful stuff out loud. Right. Like that stuff is interesting to me. There's a whole avenue of stuff that you could mine for cultural expectations on women, whether they're getting married or not. She's a super professional person who seems to have caught the eye of a managing editor and they're moving up to the New York times. Great. Dive into that too, but pick something. And right. it just kind of didn't. It just kind of circled a bunch. Yeah. For me. And I, I, so I think for me, I think that uh, her mom is an interesting microcosm of the whole movie, too. But uh, I think like her mom, especially eventually we go back to see how her mom treated her at the time. Yeah. After we've had to deal with how her mom treats her now. Right. Yeah. And and then at various points of what do we know that happened? Right, that's the other did, thing. Did we learn the whole story yet? And so we have to see her uh, relationship with her mom when we think it's this is what's up. Right. And then we have to see her relationship in the past. And then we have to see it now that we know everything that happened. And so there's all this stuff. And that is... Uh, how everything is. Right. Right. That's how all the different parts of the movie are. And I feel like that kind of represents to me one of the serious problems. And, and I, I do want to just say like time out, right? Like I didn't hate this movie. Right. right? I mean, I think it's a pretty good movie. It's pretty I good. Think people should watch it. Yeah. But obviously we're totally bagging sure. on it and only talking about things that we don't like about it, but yeah. it's, but it's good. Uh, Mila Kunis, I thought was great. She's really good. Um, and I think everyone is pretty good except um, her fiancé, who yeah. I thought was just kind of boring. And uh, I forget his name, too, but I don't know that I've seen him in anything that I love. I feel like, um, yeah, I was going to say, I've seen him before, but not in, not in anything big. Yeah, but, um, that was uh, but for awesome, the most part, but. people are good in it. Uh, I think Mila Kunis is doing really well. And I think the weird thing for me with her in this movie, because I don't love her in every bit of this movie me either but right. the weird thing for me is that i think the harder the thing is she has to do the better she does it yeah the the, the, e yeah. the things anyone could do and you're just like moving through stuff i'm like eh, yeah you know i didn't think she was that great but in, in the more difficult stuff i thought she was really good and just overall i thought she was really good yeah 
But for me, the mom is, uh, I think, representative of the movie in a lot of ways because when we finally see, when we see her mom and it's the present, yep, right? Her mom is like, uh, give me a bunch of stereotypes of moms reacting to a kid who's had trauma in a bad way, right? right? And there's like a list of the dumb, awful things that they could do. And like you said, you know, let's check off some boxes, right? Yeah. Then we go back to now we know everything. Yep. And we are back in time and she's in the car with her mom and it's like, you know, what are what's some stereotypes of make this scene horrible? Right. Well, let's check some boxes off there. Right. Do they match up with right. the other yeah. stereotypical character? Well, it doesn't really matter. Right. Doesn't we're, matter. we're doing this now. We're doing it. And yeah. and it's and the thing is like because when they get to that scene, there's a lot of this movie that I think is really good. There's a lot of the movie that I think is um ultimately emotionally pretty powerful. It's just that like I said, it's because of me, not the movie for right. the most part, right? Right. But when it gets to that scene where they're in the car, I was like, if you had right. if you had this scene and that's it, and you're like, this is part of the movie I'm gonna make, I would hope that no one would ever give that person money to make a movie. Right. Because that scene is just trash. Yep. I mean, the the mom is you know, just horrible in her awfulness. Yeah. Right. I mean uh, first of all, when you see that mom, you go, that mom, like 10, 12 <laughs> years later or whatever, right. is not this person over here. Right. She's some, you know, freaking mob boss or right. something. She's like a psychopath. <laughs> right. right. I yeah. mean, that, that scene is horrible. And, you know, young Mila Kunis, yeah. to whoever that actress is. Yeah. She was terrible in that, but I don't think it was her fault at all, right? right? Yeah, She was terrible in that, and it seemed like they just gave her the script right before. Right. And she's like, I got to do what? And, and right. because it's so it's so corny and yeah. goofball and, you know, just does not work. It's, it's weird. Um, but so, like I said, we're getting close on time here, but I do like the movie. It is interesting to watch. I think it overdoes a lot of things and then doesn't do anything with a lot of things. See? And I think all of the all of the various traumas she goes through, we have to watch her go through them for no reason. Right. And right. it's not even it, it doesn't even actually serve a purpose except it was in the book. Ha ha, I'm gonna make you watch this. Yes, it was in the book. And I feel right. like it probably plays in the because some things <laughs> right, right. play in the book that you just they're like, Well, we gotta shoot the book. You right. know. I agree. I think sometimes it's very heavy handed and then sometimes it feels light-handed right in in ways that it doesn't seem to know when those moments it's like if you're driving you know if you're on a racetrack you know when to accelerate the straight parts but here it's like they don't know when to break or turn or do anything with this vehicle that they've got um i actually like that after that car scene which i detested as well at least i understood what they were trying to do from the book Anyway, I hope it's in the book. I hope they didn't just make that up and be like, we got to make this better. I understand now, like, even that doc scene, I know where the contempt and the anger for her mother truly comes from, and it comes from that singular moment that they didn't do well in in conveying as a scene, but I get it. Like, I know in her backstory, um, I hate the end. 
like the yeah, end yeah. end. The end end doesn't make any sense for the entirety of the character that we've seen. And to have what she has in her hand and not use it is absolutely not who that character is, I thought. And I also thought the interesting breadcrumb in the beginning, you know, as we're getting out of here, is she gets favor from this, you know, posh private school that she has a scholarship to by writing a report about a, you know, a popular book. And she just says, you know, the main character is an unreliable narrator. And I'm like, right. Like, I hope the book itself that this is based on makes a metaphor of that and saying, can you believe anything right. Annie says? Or is that a, a hint at the foreshadowing that she also is an unreliable narrator? And even when she seems to be truly trying to confess the situation's truth, can you believe her? And then obviously the writing class would say, well, can we believe anybody? You know, right, that kind of right. thing. But I, I just, I didn't like the end at all, even though I liked how it got to that scene well enough. I mean, like you said, it's a fine movie. Right. It's just not doing the best stuff that it could when it needed to do them. So Right. Yeah, and and so I uh, we'll get out of here in just a second. I also I don't know the book except that I know that people like the book yeah. and uh, whatever. But you know what I don't know is what sort of a representation of this uh, has really been translated. Like Yeah, right. Did we get a- like you like you said there's you know just shooting the book Right. Exactly as what happens. And then there's also like translating the book so that the movie gives you the same thing that the book gives you. And those are not the same thing. Right. And some people think they are. And just because you shoot everything exactly, it doesn't, you know, it doesn't come off the screen and hit the audience the exact same way as it comes off the page and hits the audience just because you filmed exactly what (laughs) it says in the book. But that's not how, you know, an adaptation is an adaptation for a reason. You're trying to get to the same place, but that doesn't mean you do things exactly the same way or have the exact same things happen. And yeah, I agree. You know, whatever. I mean, uh, mostly you, yeah, adapt with, it and screw it up. I'm with but. you. I don't know if this is a good adaptation <laughs> right, or not. Right. Like I, you know. All right, but it's uh it's still worth watching, but I'd say yeah. uh you know, take that yeah, go on a little easy with yeah. a grain of salt right. too because uh because I, you know, this could easily hit people completely sure. the wrong way right. and you know whatever. But not our fault. Right. <laughs> so we'll see you uh, <laughs> next week, and it'll be Black Adam, which uh, everyone yeah. will already have seen by right. the time. Uh, I mean, they've probably already seen this it. This podcast is over. They've right. already seen it. You know. <laughs> right. Uh, all right. Thanks for tuning yeah. in, and uh, please share, like us on iTunes, subscribe, trick your friends into listening to yeah. us, and uh, otherwise, thanks for being fans. Yeah. And uh, we'll see you next week. Right. Bye. Bye. Hey listeners, on behalf of myself and Shane Leonard, we want to thank you for tuning in once again. The Are You Screening podcast is brought to you by areyouscreening.com and a lot of wonderful people who help us out. Surf over to areyouscreening.podbean.com or areyouscreening.com to find out how you can become one of them. All music used in our podcast is courtesy Andrew Lord. Once again, please, please, please subscribe, rate us on iTunes, review us on iTunes, and otherwise trick your friends into listening to us. Good night.